0: Greetings and welcome to Office Hours. If you are new here and you want to learn a little bit more about what we do, head over to officehours.global. Our first hour, we answer your questions on media and digital events and production. And our second hour, we tend to take our time to spend something that we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today it's brainstorming. So come ready with your ideas of who you want to see in the second hour, what topics we should cover, all in the business of media. And speaking of media and questions, Jason, let's get the
1: show started. Got it. David Barton in Memphis, Tennessee writes in. It's been a minute since I've heard anyone grousing about the black levels on the A10 Mini output. Has Blackmagic addressed this, Alexander? Well, I
2: have no inside knowledge, but I have a feeling that if they could have fixed it, they probably would have fixed it by now. I, I've, you know, I've tested a lot of different USB. Like HDMI to USB encoders and there are some out there that do the compressed MJPEG M- format which is what the ATEM uses and there are, there are some that use the YUY2 uncompressed format so I can only assume that this is a hardware problem and the only way to solve that is to basically put a different USB chip which they're clearly not able to do at the moment. Alex?
3: Yeah, it's the way it's being uh, compressed and it hasn't been fixed, but a lot of us have just kind of decided to live with it. (laughs) I think that that's the biggest thing here. Uh, They can, I think that they can fix it. It's a matter, I think it's a matter of coming together with, uh, you know, it, it actually, is the way that Zoom interprets it specifically because we don't see the crush when we like open it in QuickTime. So it's not just the it's not just um, the, a problem with uh, Blackmagic. It is the way that Blackmagic delivers the video as well as the way that. Zoom interprets the video, and so um, so it can be fixed. And, and, and the question is really who should fix it? Because again, from Blackmagic's perspective, when we deliver it to QuickTime, we don't see a Crush black. <laughs> so so we're we're you know so so there. I I believe that the two of them are probably going to end up hashing that out. Um, but we haven't seen the fix yet.
1: Next question: Andy Korkundorfer from Vieira, Florida, writes in thoughts on this monitor, top camera, and light
4: mount. Keeley. Yeah, I had a look at this Andy and at first it looked really hot. I thought, boy, that looks fun. And then as soon as I saw it with an actual camera mounted on it and, you know, dual dual elements, I thought, I'm terrified. I'm terrified of this and thinking that it is going to uh not be able to withstand any serious Uh, weight on it I also just as somebody who is regretfully using some lights that are directly on top of my monitors here but also a bookend up top uh, it's not going to be very useful for the kind of light that you actually want to be using for higher quality broadcasts of course it would do in a pinch but in a pinch is only in a pinch but I certainly wouldn't mount a mirrorless camera on something like this it it looks like it wouldn't stand up to it uh, but now for the more critical review, I'll I'll turn it over to our next participant,
3: Alex. I, I actually agree with Keely. I, I think the weight weight is something that really would bother me there to put too much on it. I may actually buy one though because I having that in your bag of like, oh, I can put this on any monitor, I think is kind of useful. I don't think I'd put as much as they show on the pictures on the monitor, but I do think that I could um I'm probably, you know, I have a, a kind of a grab bag of what we call, you know, crikey gear. You know, crikey. You know, like I need to put something up here. And um, you know, there are some uh some other ones that I think that Jason has shown that actually attach to the visa mount. So you can you can attach it to the visa and then mount things across the top. The problem with that one is I have a lot of monitors with a recessed visa. And um, and so I can't. All the Dell monitors are recessed into the into the system, so it it doesn't necessarily work. So something like this might work a little bit better. Um, and so those are a couple different things to to kind of think about as you think about those mounts. Uh, another one that's kind of interesting is uh, Film Tools makes one that actually does a baby pin out the back. I don't think I have it easily to to grab onto, and that allows you to attach it to any other kind of hardware that you do. Wow, everyone's else is answering the question. I'll see if I can find one.
0: Alexander
2: yeah Alex just mentioned the the VESA mount that was that was the other thing I was going to suggest
0: and pulling in Mickey mentions in the comments with this mount adjusting my with this mount adjusting my monitor would I be adjusting the framing no thank you Um, and just looking at it too the mobile side since there are some people who use oh the app just slipped me when they stream with their mobile devices Tony uses it um the app that you can give us drawing a blank or every. But anyhow, (laughs) (laughs) yes, (laughs) that that would be like, yeah, shoot, you know, that could be that could be helpful um, just for with the weight concern. So, yeah, the the other cameras and the lens alone, I'd be highly concerned, like Kelly and Alex said, but for a mobile device, it might be handy. Alex, did you have that? um, Yeah,
3: yeah, I have this is this is the um uh, film tools makes this. This is a uh, it's a visa mount here, and then it's a baby pin on the back, and this is super useful. <laughs> so I have, I have three or four of these laying around when I, when I need to. So what this means is that I can, I can put this on the back of my monitor, and then a lot of times we can now just put, literally connect this to a C stand. You know, a C stand or any traditional film tools, all the grip tools now become something that we can do. Um, and so that becomes really, really useful. I, I don't—they're not super inexpensive, but they also come apart here. So when you're, this is an important puzzle. When you're packing them, it, it's like having them stick out like this is really hard to find a place to pack. So you can take these off and then and then and pull them together so they're a little lower profile. But um, these are great. They make them in 75 millimeter and 100 millimeter. Mm-hmm.
1: Jason. Yeah, I bought that one the minute Alex showed it to me. Um, He also showed me a mic stand mountable one that was really handy. Um, The way I fixed that issue with the one that I showed you, Alex, was with, um, you know, the same things that you use to mount a TV. They always come with those really thick, like, you know, rubber or plastic grommets that'll allow you to offset it, and then you just get longer bolts for the monitor. Not ideal. I'll give you that. But um, I've, I, let me put it this way. My clients love them. And yeah, Mickey's dead right. It's, it's not always the best, but um, a tiny, tiny little camera mount on the top, it's certainly better than nothing.
0: And the other app I was thinking of was Filmic Pro. So thank you, JJ, for that as
1: well. Next question. Paul hosts in Austin, Texas, writes in, what's the problem with moving away from passwords towards passkeys, and what are passkeys? Jason. Passkeys are a way to use your smartphone as, um, as an authentication method. That's the simplest way I can describe it. And the issue with passwords is that... Um, there are a lot of alternatives to passwords nobody really trusts them and it's hard enough to get people to to take them seriously let alone try to figure out the best possible outcome and
0: alex
3: yeah and, and i don't know what the pro- there's a lot of problems with both of them um, and so that's the challenge really just getting people to getting all the systems to support pass keys is the next step um and so that's going to be the the part now there are things that people are trying to resist with passkeys. Passkeys mean that oftentimes it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to need your fingerprint, it's going to need your face print, it's going to need something like that. And so there are a lot of folks that aren't aren't excited about the fact that they will have to be biometrically uh, validated. Um, So pass, you know, as, but what you can expect is that a lot of companies are going to move more and more towards passkeys and more and more towards biometric validation. I think that the convenience that we saw before is soon going to become a requirement. Um, and so, this is already a requirement. Like banks, if you have a lot of money in a bank, I've never had this, but I've heard about it talking to bankers. <laughs> but if you have ten million dollars of liquid assets in Bank of America or Chase or something like that, uh, they they send you a little uh, biometric uh, system that you know so that you can get into your account. Um, and and uh, and so, and I've I've only again I've only learned about this top working with the bank itself, not working with. The, <laughs> I, I've never had that, um, but the um, but I think that. You're going to find that more, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to use your phone as a second, um, you know, or anything else as your um, uh, secondary uh, validation. You're going to need to be able to have a biometric tool around um, probably within the next decade. Um, And that's going to clean up a lot of things on the internet, but it's also going to tighten a lot of things that people aren't necessarily comfortable with.
0: Next
1: question. Brent Below from Appleton, Wisconsin, writes in, did anyone experience comm interruptions or other technical issues as the result of yesterday's solar storm? Can anything be done to protect our tech against more severe CME events in the future, or are we destined to return to the Stone Age?
3: Alex? Yeah, we had a close call in 2012, and I I talked to someone who's basically their only job is to manage um, potential you know, you know, serious threats there in DC. It's a think tank, and and I asked them what they worry about, and he said, "Oh, you know, CMEs. <laughs> we, we worry, we worry a lot about CMEs." Uh, he said, "We don't know how big the Carrington event. The Carrington event was at 1859, um, and uh, they," he said, "You know, that lit uh, telegraph stations on fire. You know, like like you know, like and so um and so that was, and they saw the northern lights uh, in Cuba, you know, and so um so that you know what it is is it's a, it's plasma coming out of the sun." we are in a high uh, activity area for the sun for the next couple of years. So I think it's two or three more years of uh, high potential for the sun to, sun goes through kind of seasons like anything else. And right now we're in a heavy season. So we, we, you know, but uh, they, he said, oh, we had a close call in 2012. And I said, what would have happened? And and, uh, how long would it have taken to recover? And he goes, we would have never recovered. <laughs> like like that, that was his. That was his response. He's like, he's like, you know, it's, it, it would have destroyed everything, you know. And so that was his. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what he said. And and so uh, he was pretty. You know, he said there's a 12 percent chance of having a quarantine level offense. Um, every quarter, I mean, I'm not sorry. Every not every quarter, every decade, um, and um, and so they miss us. Like the, there was one a couple months ago, I think that mi- that just happened to go the other direction out of the sun. Um, but if it had hit us, it would have been pretty serious. Um, no one really knows what will what will happen. It may just be takes out a bunch of satellites. Um, you know, we do have warning. This isn't moving at the speed of light, so it's not like it's eight minutes away. It's oftentimes days. Um, but they've talked about they you know, they have protocols um so that taking planes out of the sky, you know, like everybody lands everybody you know there's a lot of things that um can happen if they think they have a serious c m e event but it is a it is a major could take you know, parts of the world back to the stone age very quickly kind of problem, um, but no one knows. Like, so the, so the key is no, it's never happened when we've had lots of electronics. There's taken out parts of Montreal one time in the 80s, um, but still we were not in the electronic era that we are in today. So it's an unknown, but it is something that, uh, that keeps, there's people in DC that just study this one thing um, to, to figure out what would happen.
0: Jason?
1: Uh, Yeah, and for those who who Google this or are trying to, these are coronal mass ejections. That's what CME is. And yeah, they are are potentially a very big deal.
0: Next question.
1: Paul Wahoos in Austin, Texas, writes in, Is there a sophisticated USB cable analyzer that will tell you the characteristics of the cable, voltage, capacity, etc.? Jason? Um, Well... (sighs) Nah, not cheaply. There is, um, you know, stuff like this. If you just want to be able to plug in a cable and get a good sense of, of the voltage that it's pushing, um, if it's causing any sort of, of dip or or like, you know, anomalies. I've used these on hubs before. It's a very handy, very inexpensive uh, piece. I got mine from Otherworld Computing and it was maybe 30, 40 bucks.
0: Next question.
1: OBS, uh, let's see, Samuel Nordvik from Norway writes in OBS is often referred to as very unreliable on the Mac. What did you try to do with OBS on an Apple Silicon when it crashed?
4: Keely. Uninstalled it and installed Ecamm Live. <laughs> Alexander.
2: Yeah, I have a similar story it I find that it has crashed in weird ways I actually just moved a, a church that I work with uh, Away from that to Ecamm because for inexplicably no changes to their setup Mac mini M1 stay, same version of OBS they've been using and Four or five times in a row zero audio. I can see the meters moving Everything looks like it's hooked up correctly. And for some reason on YouTube, there's just no audio. Very, very strange. Um, I tried to move them to Restream. I was actually re- setting up the Restream service in OBS and it just crashed. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have any reason for that. So anyways, move them away uh, from OBS to Ecamm and that's fine now.
5: Grant? Yeah, I think it's well known that OBS was, it was really... Uh, built on PC, and it's and it particularly is uh, for gamers like live streaming gamers on PCs that have you know beefy PCs and it can do a lot. the The Mac version is not as stable. Having said that, I've used it um, with great success. But the the key to the way I use it is that I use it for one task and one task only. Like whenever I'm doing something, it's a, it's some glue. It's something that is connecting one thing to another. It's a, getting a timer into Zoom or it's, you know, something getting a web page into Zoom, something like that that's just really very simple. I'm only asking it to do one thing. As soon as you want to produce a whole show on it, um, particularly on Mac is is when it really starts to fall over. But I've, I've actually had quite a lot of success with just doing one simple task with it
6: and john chris fenwick and i have exactly the same machine same similar con- configuration it has a memory leak on my machine and it it consumes memory and can consume cpu to the fact where it locks up my machine on intel base on my on my m1 it runs okay on my pc it runs fantastic
1: next question Bunsuk Dorje from Dharamsala writes in, Greetings, I have a budget of 11000 USD to set up a live streaming kit with at least three cameras at a college in Bangalore. Please suggest what gear to purchase. Thank you. Alex.
3: Yeah, so, I, you know, I think that I would still, this is a, a place where i probably still think about a Blackmagic system for this. As soon as you start talking about multi-cameras, a lot of us have switched over to Sony's for this, but dealing with shading is a big deal, and being able to shade the cameras from the switcher is a big deal for a multi-camera. So I would look at the 4K or 6K cinema cameras um, that, that Blackmagic make. I, um, there are also the studio cameras that I don't know what the price is on them. Um, they may be more what you need there, but the nice thing about the cinema cameras is that you can use them for a lot of other things. So you can use, do live streaming, but you can also take them out and and um, work them there. Um, I find that the uh, Sigma 24 to 70s are a little bit more affordable than the Canons, and those are going to, those are, you're going to be plenty sharp for a live stream. Um, so look at those. And then I'd still probably lean towards an X32 rack, um, you know, that, that I can control with uh, software. If I had a little more money, I'd put an X, um, I'd put an X touch, you know, in front of it to, to, to make it work there, all of those things. And then of course, uh, I'd use a, I, um, Blackmagic ISO extreme, that's going to give you the headroom. So you're going to have three cameras that you have there, but then you can, if you need computer inputs and so on and so forth, you can make that work. Now, I haven't included lights because I don't know if you need those for your streaming, um, but otherwise I'd probably look at NAN lights as probably a relatively cost-effective way to fill those out. That'd probably get you pretty close to 11,000. It might be just a touch over. You could probably tuck under if you uh, use the four k instead of the six case.
0: Grant.
5: That's what I
3: was just gonna say.
5: Uh, Alex is uh, is not great at holding back a budget like um uh, he's he struggled alex really struggled when we were talking about the 1k studio like the studio <laughs> exactly. for he was really is really just blowing out all the time to me it sounds like you would blow your budget on those cameras alone um once you get the lenses i'm not sure you could make all that
3: that work like that's $7,500 it'd be $7,500 for the cameras and lenses i mean in u.s dollars at least um you know you're talking about uh you're not getting the 6k pro you get the 6k and if you went down to the um the 4k you would end up with about 2200 so you'd be at like i think 66 or 7,000, and then you'd have uh, 1500 for the x32 and 1200 for the iso so i think that you're still under you're under the i mean without the lights you're under under that that piece there
5: so something that i think would is helpful is to to remember the priority of what you what you want to spend the money on initially. And we always talk about audio, right? So I agree uh, with Alex about the X32. Um, it's such a great and versatile. Um, a piece of equipment that also you can control in multiple ways I've got an X touch um, sitting which is really handy to control as well so I agree on that but you want to spend some money on those microphones right you want to think about how you're miking the people because uh, we've we've said many times you can make it look really good but if people can't hear it or it's really quite ordinary sound then they're going to switch off really quickly and so if you have to choose then then you would You would balance more towards audio, get that right, and then get something that can get you going with cameras, and then you can spend some more money on that afterwards. But but spend money, good money on the the microphone and all the sound processing um, and the lighting, things like that is all going to help because you can have great cameras with bad lighting is still going to look bad. But you can have kind of cheaper cameras with good lighting and it'll probably do okay, and it might get you through a year or two when you can upgrade your cameras. That's my thought.
1: Go ahead, Jason. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that at some point coming up, we are going to be doing right around your price line, um, you know, 10K studio, I think. So um, yeah, stay tuned. And Keely.
4: I think there's also the point of thinking about who you have who's going to be operating all of this machinery. And you can buy some really complex uh, machines that, that people just don't understand how to use and can't get the most out of. And although it doesn't work for a scenario where somebody says, here's 11 k and you know, go spend it right now and, and produce a product... What generally I've seen in my experience when you're building live streaming setups, video setups, is, is to build slowly because you need to get to know the tools and and understand how to produce the good audio, how to get the good lighting before you can actually get the most out of the more expensive uh Tools. So it's something to think about. It might not work in your particular situation, given how your budget's being delivered to you, but it's something to consider. Can you start slowly? Can you start with less expensive uh, cameras and then find a way to repurpose them cameras, mics, lights, and repurpose them in other settings or with other studios, other enterprises in the college, and move up from there? So looking at it as a long term uh, solution. And Alex?
3: Yeah, and my calculation was a little bit based on the fact that in most universities I work with, I'm going to figure out how to pull their, in most of the universities that we've built out for, the lighting in the room is not something that I can augment. You know, if I'm streaming from a classroom, gonna the lighting is going to be de- delivered by the classroom or delivered by the theater. And I'm, oftentimes the microphones are going to be the, what's on the podium, you know, or what's you know what's there, um, and I can still fit in you know some some small mics and so on and so forth into that process. I will say that when someone spends eleven thousand dollars in India, they you know the reason that I'm leaning towards the cameras that I'm leaning towards is that you want to have it give it a punch, you know, like wow that looks that looks much different than what we had before, you know, and 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 uh, the one thing that you will have to look at because I do agree with Keeley that starting small is, is is important. I think that the one thing you want to think about is you also want people to feel like they spent the money and they got something out of it. And so if it's if it's a webcam or a small aperture or something like that and it doesn't look that much different than what they had before, um, sometimes you get some pushback on further investment. Um, and so I, I, I oftentimes try to find a a shock and awe moment, you know, of like, we just bought this and now look at the things we can do. The one advantage of the extreme as you go into that, that large, you know, that, that switcher is that you can do super sources. And so you can have things swing in and out. If you add Mix Effect Pro, you'll do things that are pretty, pretty nifty um, as far as that goes. And it's still not software-based. It's a hard piece, a bunch of pieces of hardware that you can, you can just kind of punch things in.
0: And I'd be interested in hearing, we do have time, Funsik, if you are able to add more detail to what you're looking to do with this. Because when I think of college college setups and a lot of what the schools are doing right now, those are lectures so that they can put them online and repurpose them. So is it you needed like a three camera setup for something like that? Or is it that they are trying to, you know, is it it teaching-wise? So if you can um, submit another question and give us some more details we can nail down into that response for you. And speaking of questions, producers keep them coming because we have uh, the this hour for you and all of the questions that you have around media and digital productions. Next question.
1: Paul Walhus in Austin, Texas writes in the art is being billed both as an intimate and the largest ever virtual event. All day today, live, virtual, and free. McConaughey and Robin starts at ten a.m. after office hours. Thoughts, Grant?
5: Ah, uh, yeah, it's an event that's uh, the VIPs are being hosted on Obvio, which uh, is a is great for us. Um, and so uh, we'll see how it goes. I can't really talk much more about it, but um, we're hoping to see um, some big numbers on it. But it's interesting when you do when you do. Um, Uh, virtual events and particularly free events or mostly free, um, you know, the show up rate on them is pretty low, you know, so you can get registrations, you could get uh, uh, huge numbers and then you might get 20% of the people actually show up on the day. Um, And so we'll see what those numbers look like, but but there's a whole bunch of people that pay money to be able to be in Zoom and so those people will be in OVIO and so it's one of the reasons I'm awake right now.
1: great. <laughs> Next question. Talala Lopez-Waterman writing in from Salisbury, Maryland. This time I have two PTZ optics cameras for a show. I have the PTZ joy controller UDP and will be controlling from Isadora TCP. Can I do both at the same time?
3: Okay. Can he do both at the same time, Alex? You should be able to, I mean, if you send it conflicting, uh instructions very, cl- very close together, you may end up in, a, in, a, in, a, in an odd state, but there's no reason why if, if the camera is able to handle both individually, it should be able to receive those commands. And I don't know that camera as well, but in general, when you have something that's ma- managing multiple protocols, it doesn't usually, it's not usually modal. It, it, it'll receive both of those commands and it's just, you just need to be careful of not sending it conflicting commands at the same time.
0: Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael writes in, Nokia wants to put an LTE network on the moon. Could you see commercial space-based content in the future? How could this affect our industry?
3: Jason? It won't. That was easy. Alex? Where did this come from? (laughs) Like, why did they, like, talk about Moonshot Project. Uh, So the, um, you know, I I think that it's... (laughs) It's 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 a fun it's a fun thought process. Uh, I guess you'd have to if you want to put it up there in ten years, you'd have to start talking about it now. So I think that's probably the thought process there that they. Um, but it got no it got us talking about Nokia. Um, you know, I think that that's a that's always a good plus. Um, we we haven't talked about Nokia in a long time. Uh, you know, so so I think that that might not Nokia does by the way provide underlying infrastructure for a lot of things. So they're not as public as they used to be. But I always feel like when i when I see Nokia, I think of it as the, probably one of the most distinct warnings um that I've ever you know that i that I have around technology like anytime someone says well this this company's dominant in this industry or they have a lock on something you know Nokia was about as big as you could be in cell, in the cell world right before the iphone was was released i mean it was as close to a lock as you could as you could have of just the, all the biggest phones and all the best phones, and there was just they were unmovable. And then suddenly they were gone. Like within two years, we didn't think about them anymore. And I just think that that's just an amazing shift that um, that we should always remember when we when we think about how big anything is in any market that it can be disrupted dramatically uh, with in uh, in a, in a fairly you know short period of time.
0: So could this be their, their, you said moonshot, pun intended. Yep. Um, could this be their play for trying to bring some more innovation back, or that, maybe what they're doing behind the scenes?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the one of the advantages for companies sometimes is to be aspirational and aspirational and build the, get their engineers thinking about something that's big and and crazy and, you know, they're you know because a lot of what Nokia does now is kind of more more stuff that you don't see very often and it's low level and it's very important to the networks especially in, in other parts of the world but it's not something that that you know it's, i think it's hard sometimes to hang on to engineers when you're not doing something that's that's really visible and so and you know hanging on to that process and i, I don't know if that's their their play here but but thinking about the big project and playing towards the big project, you know, like we're playing around with HDR and 5.1. We don't need to do right. that. You know, like, you know, we're doing, that's that's our version of a moonshot. It's much simpler than what Nokia is talking about. But um, but I think that playing for that gets you to think about things and it may get you to innovate in ways that you wouldn't if you were just solving today's problems. If you're solving, you know, a decade out, you know, what the problems are. The, You know, the moon is such a, it seems so simple like we'll put things on the moon but when you talk to people who, who have either been on the moon or studied the moon or, or things they're like it's really not a great place to put things you know like it's it's uh it's the um the the the, the nature of the surface is pretty unforgiving and so um so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see i, I think we are going to eventually do something there but i don't know if lte networks are going to be the first thing that we think about dust. next question oops dust, next dust question a lot about <laughs>
1: Steve Uroff writes in from Madison, Wisconsin. Does MidJourney have a way that a business can provide employees access to the AI while maintaining ownership of the accounts in the way that they can provide Adobe Creative Cloud licensing, reassigning them upon staff changes?
6: John? Not not really. I mean, the, the MidJourney is basically uh, in beta, and they don't have a provision for enterprise type of services like that. The the only thing that I could see what you would do there is create those accounts inside of Discord as as corporate accounts and then give them access to those accounts. But they could go in if they got rogue, they can go in and change the email assigned to that account. So I don't see any good way to do that.
3: Alex? Yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting to see, if, you know, that this is the distinction between things like Firefly and, and MidJourney. I think MidJourney produces better content than Firefly, but Firefly is providing uh, more explicit control as well as more of the business needs that are required, so I think Adobe's actually doing some pretty impressive things there that, that they're moving forward. Uh, it'll be interesting to see you know what is better. Um, i don't know if it matters for mid journey I think that mid, you know I think people keep on trying to figure out how mid journey is, can be commercial and maybe it can. But but I think that the other thing is the, the bigger danger is that people will just have so much fun with mid-journey that they are not they don't care about the other content. Like they're building content that they just enjoy. Um, I know that I, I I get a lot of uh, benefit out of it. Just just fun, like, you know, putting things up. And so it, I don't know if it needs to be, there needs to be a business model. Like that's the thing is if it gets easier, especially, but I don't know if it if there needs to be a business model for mid-journey to be successful and to disrupt a lot of things. I think that the, when you look at janitor of, AI and how it impacts things it's it may be that it impacts it in the in the sense that we're having so much fun building things on our own that we pay less and less attention to the things that other people are building like that it may not be something that we're building and selling it's something that we're just entertaining ourselves and so that that's a that could be a potential disruptor in itself
0: next question
1: uh, Alexander Knight writes in from Vancouver, BC, Canada. In a battle between Sound Devices Noise Assist and Universal Audio's CVOX Noise Suppression, which is based on Cedar, which one is more transparent at more aggressive levels? Has anyone done a
3: comparison? Alex? So I haven't com- um, compared the Universal Audio version of Cedar, but I used to own. Um, uh, a handful of DNS twos and one DNS eight, you know, from Cedar. So I, I'm familiar, very familiar, with the hardware. We used it on every show before, before we had the noise assist. Um, I will say that uh, the noise assist is absolutely more transparent. Like it's not like I, you know, I think they're very gentle about saying that. But I can say I've had both of them in the same room doing the same footage and turning it up to get rid of things and noise assist is superior to Cedar. And I, w- I didn't think that that was even possible. When you turn Cedar up, you will start to hear the, the mechanical nature of the bits going through and, you know, especially in transient. So really when it gets low, you'll hear, the, th- 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 you know, like the, the, as it comes off of it, that you don't hear as much. I think that that sound device's noise assist does that much so- in a much softer way than CEDAR does. And so once we got used to using noise assist, we stopped using all the CEDAR boxes.
0: Next
1: question. Tyler Roberts in Chambersburg writes in, is there a way to have a persistent link for a Zoom room looking for a way to have Zoom room opened and can always join? Go ahead, Keely.
4: You know, you should put me at the end of these things because I'm always going to be presenting a contrarian view of this. Persistent open uh, voice rooms and video rooms, Discord is great for that. It, it I have all kinds of channels opened up in servers that I administer or run for other people. And the ability for people just to hop into those rooms and have casual conversations and things like that with no links, they are pre-authenticated because of the permissions that they're given in Discord is so convenient and just makes it uh, a, a joy to be able to use and to augment the community purposes of your server. But now to somebody who knows how to do it in Zoom, Grant.
5: Uh, yeah. So when you there, there's a couple of different ways that you can um, schedule meetings in Zoom, and, and I think it's it's probably not well known that the the schedule really doesn't mean much other than um, uh, alerting attendees. To when your when your meeting is, it doesn't stop you from starting the meeting, and so even a even a scheduled meeting that you had um, scheduled in the past, you can start again. And a way it can go, but the thing is too that you when you when you set up your meeting, you can make it recurring, and so it can just be a, a recurring event and that has no specific time, and so now it's just a a, a an ongoing meeting that just exists and potentially what you can also do is one of the settings is you can allow people to join before host. Uh, and so I have a few meetings like that, that I've set up as a, on a short URL and it goes straight to that zoom meeting and opens up. And even if the host isn't there, you're still in the meeting and other people can join it. And then the host can join the it goes. And so, yeah, it's totally possible to do it. You can just use that, that recurring and no set time and I've had one going for three years and people use it all the time.
1: Next question. Paul Walhoose writes in, how do you put your logo on your microphone?
4: Keely? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to touch my microphone. Maybe you can see it in the corner here, but I do have my logo on my microphone. It's a sticker you can do very very simple little uh, stickers at all kinds of ddg companies like printful, spreadshop, all that sort of thing uh, and you can go in that direction if you are looking for something that's more like a mic flag you can get those printed up at all kinds of shops just a you know quick purview of this sort of thing is is a nice direction to go to but the one thing that i've noticed lately that i've been seeing all of the cool live streamers doing uh, this is a, a just a, a still from the minimalists. They're using SM7Bs and they're using custom mic plates on the bottom of them. It's a great way to showcase your logo uh, in a place that is normally just sort of dead space. And because of the SM7Bs design, that it's it's got the, uh, the cable coming out of the side of it, you've all of a sudden got this, this fantastic place to showcase. So this is the service that I found. There's probably others out there um and maybe i'll be able to put a link in the comments later but uh that just looks glorious and if you do it properly and you do it subtly i think it'll be a really nice option for you so those are three different ways you can try it alexander
2: yeah a small sticker or that custom plate on that specific sm7b microphone is uh definitely a a lesser i i suppose a a less expensive way to do it the way i've normally done it is the mic flag option that Keely mentioned too. And uh, there's a bunch of websites out there. I've got one specific link here. I'll post.
0: Jason.
1: Okay. Because this is the place where nothing in this world cannot be turned to 11. If you want to drop about two grand on this, get a laser engraver. Oh, is it cool? Okay. And you can do so much more than, than just mics, but yes, you can do mics too.
3: Go ahead, Alex. So most of the broadcast industry buys mic flags from one company, it's called Impact PBS, um, impactpbs.com. Uh, that's where we've gotten all of ours for, I don't know, for the last decade. Um, but the reason we got it is because we were working with a broadcaster and they were like, well, this is where everybody gets their mics, mic flags. (laughs) So, so it's like, so, so if you're looking for where does everybody buy mic flags, that is the place that there's a lot of places that do it, but these are the ones that do it for every, pretty much every local station network, um, any major, if you know that impact PBS, it's kind of like the audio implements you know, a lot of in ear stuff, uh, audio implements for broadcast. Um, P- Impact PBS is the kind of the, the big the big guns when it comes to mic flags. They'll deliver those in a couple days and they are always perfect.
0: Yeah, we've gotten a bunch from those. So like they do this, so it's an efficient is process. they all
3: they, do. They, they don't do. they don't do something else. This is what they do and they do a lot of it and they are very good at it. And very yes. nice by the way, they're, they're great.
0: And then Mickey in the comments says also a custom microphone could also be an option if you're looking for that as well. Next question.
1: Tommy Chance writes in from Saint Paul, Minnesota. Rumors of Samsung
6: buying Bing. Thoughts, John. Bringing bringing Bing, not buying. What they're talking about is is switching from Google search engine in their handheld devices, the Samsung Galaxies, instead of uh, using Bing instead of Google. This is big news. It's a billion dollar deal. knows what will happen but that was the rumor last week grant yeah
5: that's what i saw as well and and it is a a huge deal because uh there's a lot of money in search and the default browser or the default search that is used is um brings in a lot of money and for most people probably on android uh, that are not going to change or change those defaults um and that that means a lot of money but um i think for a lot of people that are into changing their settings, they'll probably just change it to Google. Right,
3: Alex. Yeah, I think the number is like—is it nine or ten billion dollars a year that Google pays Apple for the Google search in the in on the iPhone? So Google pays pays for this. So part of this might be a little bit of a negotiation of how much money is being paid to make this work, uh, but also Samsung has, you know. Threatened over and over and over again to get out of the Google, the Android atmosphere, you know, like and so this could be. I think this is also like going down this path, you know, and that's a real problem for Google because Samsung is by far the largest Android manufacturer. So if they and they they've been quietly building their own OS based on the Android architecture because, of course, that's open sourced, um, and so they've been they've been building their own version of this for quite some time. Um, they haven't been able to get. Uh, the velocity necessary to <laughs> to reach orbit, um, but they are th- threatening to, and so you 'll see that continue to you know and that helps them with negotiations with google as well
0: and i don 't know what the numbers are between like so google's the first and the number one search engine in the world, and then being behind it, so just for putting that out there for how that could impact for those who might not change their um change their browsers what that might mean for the numbers um going to the comments laura mentions like please know for accessibility i have google assistant trained um bixby is is no good so what that could also mean alex
3: yeah, it'll be really interesting also to see because Bing, Bing, as it incorporates chat GPT, you know, is much more conversational, so you're asking right. things. And so I think that one of the things is not just the money that Samsung might make, but that conversational nature and being able to integrate it with the phone is probably something that they're, they're pretty interested in as well.
1: Next question. Alexander Knight from Vancouver, BC, Canada. And on the panel, with respect to manufacturing of camera lenses, why do some choose specific diameters over others? For example, why 49, 52, 72 millimeters or larger? Go ahead, Jason. Um, because of the... the qualifications of the lens and the number of elements in that lens and the fact that the target of the lens, meaning, you know, full frame sensor um, or or otherwise, um, you're going to end up having these constraints that tend to lend themselves to very specific um, sites for ingress onto the lens. So it's no surprise that these get standardized. And um, yeah, manufacturers do tend to pick a few of them and, um, and then work their way out.
0: And a reminder to our producers when submitting your questions to also vote on them because that impacts the order in which that they are responded to by the panel. Next question.
1: Paul Walhoose writes in, when will drones fly for a long time instead of a few minutes? Alex?
3: I, I mean, there's just a lot of things around physics that make this hard. So what you're talking about are drones that are, you know, the helicopter style drones with prope- propellers are, have, have uh a short life of oftentimes as little as forty-five minutes or even twenty minutes, um, depending on them. And a lot of it has to do with just what kind of batteries they have and the battery banks. It takes an enormous amount of energy from an electrical perspective to keep those things in the in the air. Um, you're turning those 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 fans that are pretty high rate, and so it burns through those batteries. And the batteries are are very efficient, but they are that's it, it is problematic to keep them up. Now there are other types of drones that can stay up for a long time. so these are winged based drones um, you know they're, they can stay up and, and loiter um, in the air for days you know so they you know so those um, so loitering uh, uh, drones can stay up for quite some time you know and they' they tend to not move very much they, they sit at a certain altitude. Um, and then they can have a series of cameras or other materials uh, that they that they manage um in that process. And so they so it's not it's it's really the fans that, that that take up a lot. And what happens is you get into a weight issue, which is that if you add more batteries, it makes it harder for the for the propellers to pull it up. so there's a there's a there's a there's this kind of happy medium where any more battery would just drain it, drain out the 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 fans faster, you know, drain out the battery faster. so, um, a lot of folks have kind of found that, but that that number seems to have been it's pretty stable right now at you know at about I think the upper end of that is like 45 minutes, and that is almost at almost every size drone um, you know kind of sits in that in that world um, because of the weight versus effort that it, that that's related to those um, systems.
0: Right.
5: So I've seen it. Uh, today, as in as in uh, currently, there are drones and I've seen them fly for hours and with no batteries. Amazing. It's because they're tethered. Um, so they have a, a cable that runs down to the ground. <laughs> and uh, actually, it works really amazing for events. I've seen them at some big stations. Uh, uh, um, stadiums, and they they run these this tethered drone, and it just sits up there, and it just is constantly there. And the down the tether is power and uh, and video signal. And so now you've got a really sharp image that's coming back, um, really solid, and uh, and it sits there, and it's also very safe because at any point, if something happens to it, you can pull on the tether, um, and it's uh, it's not going to go flying away. So. Of course, that's not really what you're asking about, but it, but it is uh, along those lines, particularly of when you're looking at for uh, like from a security camera or, or shots of uh, wide angle shots at a, at a big event that works brilliantly.
0: Jason?
1: Yeah, the tether thing always struck me as cheating. I've seen these at trade shows and oh boy, I'm like, yeah, that's great. But yeah, Alex is absolutely right. Um, Fixed wing drones are actually much older than, um, you know, the the four... Um, propellers that you're thinking of. And th- one of the issues here is that two of the props are going up and two are going down. So, you know, the way that the flight controller is stabilizing that drone is kind of in a constant state of, um, you know, working towards and against itself. So there's only so much tuning that can be done in that arena.
7: And Chris. Alex, uh, this is for you. Um, the only time I've ever heard anybody use the word loiter in re- in regards to drones they were they were in the intelligence gathering agency are you a spook i'm not <laughs> okay just want to double check so, but but i have worked lord, lord but i have worked with loitering drones
3: so somewhat i'm not a spook
6: Paul, if you put a peanut butter sandwich on the back of a cat it will float in the air forever
1: <laughs> next question <laughs> Sorry. Douglas Carmichael writes in, the Atomos Connect units can now transmit NDI. What use cases could you see for such a unit in an NDI workflow?
3: Alex? Yeah, Atomos is really taking on, I mean, they they started off as relatively inexpensive, uh, you know, capture devices, much like a Pix240 or something like that. And they've really grown into this network where... Um, you know they have a, a, an ecosystem um, that allows you to. You know, of course, you still have a monitor <laughs> that you can plug into your into your camera, but it provides a lot of different services. And so, one of them is is the ability now with NDI is to provide that to a network, so you can have a camera, you know, being provided back to a network via NDI, which is really interesting. They also do camera to cloud. Um, they do they they can connect to the um, the Atomos. You know, there's a. There is a uh, on you know the Atomos cloud I think or network that's there, so you can theoretically have a lot of these different monitors attached to your cameras and be feeding all of that together. Now, Teradek and small small HD have other things that are similar to those things, but I think that Atomos is doing a pretty good job of. Of managing a lot of those things it's it, we'll see how that goes i haven't used a lot of the the Atomos stuff just because of the way that my productions work but we watch it and we and it's it's a pretty interesting uh pretty interesting puzzle
1: next question Unsook Dorje giving us our follow-up from Dharamsala about the 11K camera. We will be live streaming talks, recording interviews, and we'll need wireless mics, cameras, and audio mixers. We were thinking of the ATEM SDI Extreme ISO Mix Effect Pro. Uh, Right now, we aren't sure if we should buy a Mac Mini M2. Thank you for the follow up Alex
3: yeah, I think the mac mini m two would make a lot of sense because you can use that as a mix effect controller as well as doing a lot of other things with it um, the m two is screaming fast. I have one right here <laughs> so um, and uh, it is uh, it 's a great uh, great machine. Um, you can be for most of what you would do for a live environment, eight gigs is going to be enough, so literally the base unit of of the M2 Mac mini is going to be enough to do most of what you need. Um, so I think that um I think that what with wireless um it depends on just how uh you know where you're shooting it. I mean again, uh, Bangalore is actually a pretty dense location when it comes to wireless and and RF. So you do have to kind of think through that a little bit. Um, I do think that you know this is where oftentimes the Sennheiser uh, mics um the the kind of the entry level Sennheiser mics might make sense for these it just depends on how many you need. Um, I wouldn't try to do a lot of talks and everything else with more of the 2.4 type um st- like road goes and stuff like that. That's gonna be those are great creator uh stuff that isn't for live live. <laughs> you know, it's they're better off for uh records and it, it it can work, but it doesn't have to. Um and so so those are the things that I would um you know I would probably think about there. Uh but um and then the other thing is is how often are you gonna be in the field? So as soon as you start going into the field. Um, you you may need a mixer that is not an X thirty two. So if you are going to be going out and doing interviews, you may want to start thinking about either the um, Zoom series, the F series within Zoom, uh, not Zoom what we're on in right now, but Zoom the the uh, hardware manufacturer inside of the budget that you're that you have. Um, you may want to think about those things um, or something probably to give yourself a little room a MixPre ten if you can afford it. It won't fit into your budget, you know. So the MixPre ten would be what I would lean towards if I could get more budget. Um, probably um, to make that work, because that's going to give you some IO. That's going to give you a lot of inputs um, to work from. Um, so also, you know, so, so the thing about those, those solutions there, but you can get a similar number of channels for significantly less from Zoom. So you just got to decide what you can afford um, and, uh, and where you want to go with that.
0: And Mickey also says, in most situations, you would need multiple computers for an entire broadcast system, kind of to Alex's point of live live versus creator live and what that what that looks like, Alex.
3: And yeah, and we've definitely, um, you know, we can stream out of a lot of things that are, you know, one of the things for live streaming that we've done is use these little uh, elemental links where we just have a little box that we just throw, um, we just plug out The, the ATEM itself will stream. Um. So you can use those. the The nice thing about the the Elemental boxes, which is an additional thousand dollars, but it's using a Zixi out, so it flexes a lot with your bandwidth. You know, and so um, there's some other folks in 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 uh, in that use those links. <laughs> so so the um uh, so that but they flex with the the bandwidth usage um, uh, pretty effectively. So that that's something to also you know think about as you start to build those out. Um, I you know you can do a lot as a basic streaming with what we kind of outlined. One Mac Mini and and all of those things are enough to do some a lot of basic streams. Um that would there obviously what happens is is that you start buying this stuff and then you keep buying. <laughs> you know, once you keep the other thing to think about with audio, you know, with wireless mics is do you really need a wireless mic? Like do you you know when people are sitting down talking, anytime you cannot use wireless, don't use wireless. Don't use it as a convenience. Um, you know, we've seen I saw some presentations before NAB that were, you know, live and they had a lot of problems with the wireless because they use it as a convenience. The per- they were sitting there; they weren't moving around. If people are sitting and not moving around, just give them a wired connection. Don't don't give them a wireless connection uh, unless you're spending a lot of money on on wireless mics. So if you're if you're using an Axiom system or or one of the Sound Device systems, sure, you know if you. But that's like your entire budget to get those mics. The um, but if you're using those, you can use them as convenience. But if people are sitting around and you don't have a big budget. Wired mics are amazing.
1: Next question. Henry Ramos writes in from Yonkers, New York. Does anyone have experience with streaming video provider for one-time pay-per-view events? They look good, but are they reliable?
3: Mm. Alex? I don't know what the... um, Yeah, we'd have to... uh, We've never heard of them before. So they they may be reliable, but they're not an industry standard by any sort of way, shape, or form because most of us, I think, here on the panel haven't heard of them. So we'll, we'll take a look at it and see what they do.
1: Next question. Ponsuk Dorje writes in from Dharamsala. What does the panel think about using WhatsApp as a talkback solution between camera, camera operators and TD?
3: Alex? It can be used. Um, I would say that as you start to think about um, building a show, comms are like half the show. And so I would, I would, on a budget, I would I would definitely think about Unity. You know, like it's it is a small amount of investment for a handful of things. It's going to be as stable as talk as um, WhatsApp, but it's going to be a lot more. It gives you a lot more features. Um, you know, when you first start, you just want you think you just want to talk to everybody one on one, but um, a lot of times you'll do things that are better when you have a little bit more room. So when you have another PL to talk to your partner, you know, or producer, you have, you have a party line. So you have a party line to do that, you have a party line for the cameras, you have a party line for playback, you have a party line to talk back to the host in their ear, you have, you start adding these party lines that that allow you to talk to other people or directs. And as you start to do that, like when I first got a, when we first did a live stream, I don't know, maybe almost 20 years ago now, and someone said, well, how many PLs do you want? I'm like, why would you need more than one? Like, like why would I, why would I need to have more than one calm channel, like to talk to everyone? And nowadays, you know, I I build we build events that have thirty PLs with you know a whole bunch of pins and you know like all of these things, all these conversations that are going on, and so um, so I think that I would really look at the cost of, of Unity and, and consider whether you want to build a Unity server um, to do that over top of WhatsApp. You can probably start that way, but it's going to make a big difference to take one step forward.
5: Grant. I, yeah, so I I would re- echo all of what Alex said. Um, having tried um, the different scenarios, we use WhatsApp as a backup to Unity, and so um, and we use it as a as a text option. So we have all of our crew will be in a in a group um, on WhatsApp, um, and that works really well when we want to do silent communication, which sometimes we need to, and also also if Unity happens to fall down occasionally it can, um, then we have WhatsApp and we can get a call going and, and away we go. It's very quick and everyone just knows, oh, Unity's down, we, we get WhatsApp going. So, but what I would say is um, the Unity Cloud, you can you can subscribe to that and that is kind of, that would get you going and you could just do a month of that and try it out. Um, but then when you get a little more serious and you, and you want to be able to add things like uh, program feeds and things like that, I highly recommend um, having a program feed in included, and it's something that you can have that it ducks as well. So, so when um, there's, there's talking in the in the um, in the the channels or the or the um, party lines, then you'll you'll it'll duck the the program audio. But it's very good for for camera operators to really clearly hear the talent, um, no matter what the show is. And so, having having program audio in their ears is very helpful. It also confirms that the comms are working. It's one of the things that I really like is that when you can always hear program audio, you know, your comms are up, everything's working particularly because you're relying on a mobile phone and maybe a wireless headset or something. And so when you can hear something constantly, you know, it's working. So it's a very, very different thing. Um, you're kind of moving into more of a, of a pro way of doing it. And when you can get the comms right, everything else flows from that.
3: And Alex, Alex, and this is where you sometimes start to stretch your budget because you can, um, some of the larger switchers from Blackmagic will let you have TalkBack built into the switcher. So you, those are other things to look at it where you can put a five pin directly into it, it's a little bit more expensive. So that may not fit into your budget right now, but just know that there are switchers that have integrated comms um, built back into them. Um, and so, I mean, that's another possibility. Other things that we've used in the past are um, Studio Technologies makes a series of Dante belt packs. So if you have an X32 there, you can actually build out you know something and those are super clear and that's just ethernet that goes out to those camera operators. Um, and then finally, remember that um, phones can be connected via ethernet and so you can actually uh, a lot of times in an area where you might have not have good cell coverage or wi-fi you can build a network um, to connect to your phones to give them a a more direct connection to the server if you're using something like unity in in our case uh, clearcom hnic um, for some of our bigger projects
1: and jason Last thought on that: the X thirty two, especially if you're you're having to import it from um, well from anywhere into India, um, be sure you get the Dante card as its own order. Um, it's not something that comes natively with the mixer. Next question. Paul Walhus writes in from Austin, Texas. Happening now: RSA Security Conference in San Francisco. Christian Brand with FIDO Two and Identity Security Product Manager at Google. He'll discuss passkey adoption. How can office hours cover this, Alex?
3: currently we're limited by resources, so we have to pick and choose which which events that we we cover uh, we haven't seen covering things outside of audio and video to be particularly successful, so our ROI is pretty low um, you know we put it out and you know if we put things out we've done a couple tests with this, but if we do something outside of our core competency, uh, we haven't found a lot of few people will view it and it 's a lot of effort because the folks don 't know us and you know so on and so forth so so, I, you know, it's been, uh, it's something that we are looking at. Um, RS, I did actually look at RSA because I spent a lot of time studying what this is covering and I have for quite some time. Uh, but because it was so close to NAB, I, ma- I made a choice not to, not to make any attempt to try to cover it. So, we'll have to just watch from the, from the, uh, from the stands.
1: Next question. Laluck Miguel Lopez Waterman writing in from Salisbury Maryland. I'm thinking it's time to save up for a larger lens for my PCC 6K. My 24 to 70 is great for streaming, but what would you suggest for your next lens? I suggest there. Uh, I realize there are expensive lenses, so maybe a big, medium, and small budget. Alex,
3: you know the ones that I that you know Sigma makes a lot of ones that are less expensive than than what. Canon makes, so sometimes you can save a little money. They're not quite as sharp, but they're pretty darn sharp. Um, so you can you can kind of go back and forth between those. The, the the four lenses, if someone says, what are four lenses that you get from Canon? 16 to 35, 24 to 70, 70 to and 100 to 400. Those are the four that if I'm gonna buy four lenses and put them in there, um, those are the four I'm gonna put, I'm gonna get those zoom lenses that are gonna cover the gamut of pretty darn wide, to pretty long, you know, and then you can get a doubler and that's gonna take that one to 400 to 200 to 800 um, and you'll lose a little light, but you'll but you'll be able to go out step out a, lo- a lot further, but that's been, that's kind of my standard. And then you, after that, you start filling in with primes. So you get a you get the, you know, the uh, but then you start spending real money, you do a prime 85, a 50, a 35. Those are the ones that you start to, and, and these are typically you want, you're looking for 1.4, 1.2, 1.8, those types of things. and so. Um, But those are the, if I was going to build a lens kit, that's been the thing that's been successful for me for probably the last 20 years.
0: And Jason?
1: Hello, Next time you're in New Mexico, um, what Alex referred to as the Holy Trinity. And um, I have all three and you're welcome to just, you know, take it and connect it and, you know, see what you like.
0: Testing it out. Real hands-on demo. All right. Well, thank you so much producers for all of your questions and keep them coming because now as we make the transition to our second hour where we are going to be brainstorming. So we want to hear from you some of the ideas that you have. So Mondays are essentially dedicated to marketing business, the business of media. We have had Uh, topics around even the mental health, so us as individuals and how we show up and making sure that we are fully functional, operational. We've done things like on uh, topics around um, health and wellness, and we still need to get into some accounting topics and some of the financial parts. So again, we want to hear from you and panel. feel free to jump in with some of your thoughts of how Mondays have been going and some of the things that you thought went really well or things that, oh, we can really drum up some more conversations about this be a certain area because especially with all that's happening in the AI and tech and yeah, there's just so much that we can talk about, Alex.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things we're trying to always think about with, with each one of these is, you know, what is important to the viewers? Uh, what are, What are the things that we think are covering? What are the... And and I think that Monday and Friday are sometimes the hardest to define because they're kind of, they're much more open. <laughs> so so we're really looking for, you know, as we look at this week, this week is one of the most important weeks we have every, every we do this two or three times a year and really try to think about that. We We, in the past, it was really, we didn't have any idea what was happening next week. Now we have a fairly good runway of ideas that are eight or 12 weeks out for most of the days. Our goal over the next uh, three to four weeks is by the by the end of May we'll be um, completely scheduled all the way till IBC. So it is important for you to give us your two cents today. <laughs> Let us know the kind of things that you want to see because uh, that will be what the summer looks like um, as we kind of move forward. So it, it, you know the the councils have been very effective at thinking of those things, and we made a lot of contacts last week at NAB, and so we we definitely tend to um, you know we'll, we'll tend to kind of lean into that now. The, um, I think that, you know, one of the things we had, I met someone that at NAB that really talks a lot about startups. I think that might be a good one, you know, so thinking about how we start up our companies or how do you think about building a startup. And um, I think that entrepreneurial, you know, discussions of, you know, one thing that we haven't really covered in the past so far have been things like how do you get investment? How do you, um, and, and I think even like how do you manage like I think that there, there's a thing that we haven't talked about much. Like I, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, when I built my business, I built a. uh, This is as an example. I built, you know, I, I had to put a lot of collateral up to get a line of credit for my company. You know, it was pretty big line of credit, and um, and the. I talked to a friend, and he goes, "Oh no, never, never do that." <laughs> He's like, "Start with a little line of credit, and then just roll it, and just keep rolling it over the next, you know, and over a decade, you'll roll it into a two million dollar line of credit or whatever, as long as you keep paying it off." And and do and there's a model to that, and I think that. Um, and then and then he goes, "Then you know, it's then it belongs to the company, not to you." And um, and those are the, like those kinds of things. I think as as business owners, we should understand, or, or a lot of us are doing our own businesses. We should understand what those angles are. And so I think that I think that one thing that we could spend more time on is a little bit of the financials of those things, as well as um, the business end of things of just starting a business and how to get those things off the ground. I think we could bring some folks in to talk about that. And then again, I think that some of the uh, discussions around marketing. Um, and then I love I I've, I've really enjoyed the the YouTube, um, YouTube discussions where we bring some YouTubers in and have them talk about their, their journey. Um, we had a, some great sessions with some, some, a couple of the YouTubers as well as, as Renee came in from, from YouTube and talked to us a little bit. Um, but I think more, more discussions in that, from that realm, um, I think could be, uh, could be pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. And, and just even if this to to the producers, as we, when the council meets and we're really thinking through, we are thinking that, you know, who are the people that we see showing up in the comments sometimes and just having uh, a better understanding of, okay, there's government is an area that we haven't necessarily touched as much. And of course it's government. So there's, there's certain things that will be like, just, it, it varies because this is a global show, but it's, you know, government contracts. Is that a conversation that would be valuable to the community? Um, And then even the areas of just, uh, I think this might have been a John or a Nigel recommendation in, in the past, but even running an effective meeting, like there's one thing of... We all are like this. This is essentially a meeting, but in in, say, a business sense or how does it vary and helping people um, through those parts. And there's so much in the the marketing and the personal development, the leadership development, like there's just so much that we can do, but we really want to hear from you so that this this time is for you so that we can bring in the the right people have the right conversations because the more that you find value in this in this the, for what we do on Mondays, because every day is valuable on office hours, before what we do here, the time that it takes us to reach out to people, the back and forth that we have of just like booking a guest and getting them on our calendar, that that gives us enough lead time so that we can get more, more yeses and make it make sense for everyone involved so that you can have a, a great second hour. Jason.
1: I'm thinking uh, kind of more abstractly about pacing. One of the things that I didn't learn initially when I when I started my company just fresh out of college um was how important it is to understand, you know, what your expectations should be for yourself and for your clients and you know what what and how you should expect to grow and if you're not doing it you know, if you if you're not falling somewhere along some you know decent line of anything, but and then again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this would directly compare. Sure, there are various verticals, but um, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something there when it comes to pacing. So we're brainstorming.
0: So what I hear from you when you're saying pacing is kind of like it. What came to me first was like, so your leads, like how long this like a sales cycle could be when you're the first what you've got to do to even like get their attention. And then is that kind of what you're talking about? Like the pacing of?
1: Yeah. uh, Um, okay. I I initially started to think about this when Alex was talking about lines of credit, right? You know, there's a pacing to that. Um, there is a cycle that, you know, that, that one's a lot more rote than, um, you know, how many clients should I have? How much money should I be making as, you know, a, a one off or a five person, or as a, you know, a 10 person, um, I, I think it might need to be constrained a little bit more with respect to verticals, but I, I feel like a lot of people fail in business when they have unreasonably high or um, entirely too low expectations for themselves. And so, I, I don't know, there, there's some middle ground there that's that's worth exploring.
0: Nice. Grant?
5: Yeah, I just think um, selfishly, I think about the, um, uh, the type of business that, um, I'm involved in sort of digital events and things like that. I think about the the aspect of of where we are with digital events um, post pandemic, um, and the and the shift that people have gone into into hybrid. Um, and so, it's been really helpful. Obviously, the uh, the three years of of office hours being able to talk through um, the downfalls of hybrid you know uh, and 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 often we' we've picked up on analogies we help each other with different analogies and things and that's been really helpful um, I think that that's shifted now to where it's in the events industry particularly we're seeing that people hybrid is taking off more and more because people are just like why wouldn't you do it like it's just the best of both worlds and it's amazing you know like we and so I Talking through that more, I think, and and hearing, getting people on that are that are running different events, and you know, I think having Blue on again to talk about um, how Sage runs their events, I think, is would be really helpful. Um, and uh, and and then just from the business side of that is is talking through um, smaller kind of business and and where we sit. So once again, for me, thinking about not being a production company. But kind of not being uh, an event management company either. You know, and there's there is something that's in between there that I think um, I, I think there's a real niche now for these types of companies, where you don't need a uh, an event management company, and you don't need a production company necessarily. You kind of need these a partner, you know, like a um, event production partner that makes these events happen. And so talking through some of that, I think that the, those lines have changed a little bit in, in the event industry. So,
0: And even while you were breaking that down, what I'm even hearing too is like just even strategy. Like there is, there's a certain idea of like, well, how do you do, how do you have a strategy session? The difference between strategy and brainstorming and the planning, like how do you effectively plan your next moves, whether it be months or years, like not to say that's exactly what you said, but that's also, you know, something else uh, that I, I heard as you were, as you were saying that, Alex,
3: just a quick reminder that uh, in person is kind of like a really nice car, and digital is like a really big ship, and hybrid is like a little duck boat. <laughs> just, just anyway, just a little, little, little. little PSA there. We'll just gonna insert into it. Don't be a duck boat, anyway. Um, so don't be a duck. You know, so don't be a duck, anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, so the, um, you know, I think that it's important though. You know, it's easy, as Grant said, to for us to fall into. Just what everybody else is doing but they're not it's not working like that the, the hard part is is that um, what's happening is that you know what people are doing is not working and we have to figure out a way that, that we continue to figure it out and we continue to figure out something that might work and and a lot of the you know based on a bunch of stuff that we did you know last week i someone sent me something i said you know you should just live stream that and we should you know put people together and they can all work together and and i knew it because of the stuff that we did here not stuff i knew before and they were like, oh, yeah, our client would be really interested in that. It's a really big company. And uh, so just send us a demo. And, you know, it might turn into a bunch of work. Um, but it's because of the discussions that we had here and because of the, you know, the the kind of the, the learnings that we've made in all these little test projects and all the little things that we're doing. And I think that we should, you know, we really want to think about how we continue to cross-pollinate. Because, there's going to be a point where, you know, a lot of the stuff that's out there right now is going to bottom out. Like when we look at, we talked a little bit about this, physical events are gonna have, you know, if things tighten up in the economy, and I and I will say that I've never seen so many big companies do what they're doing right now, ever. Like in my, ever in my business, have I ever, I've never seen companies tuck in so, so dramatically, whether it's, you know, Apple and and uh facebook and google like people are laying you know they're either laying people off or they're cutting events and they're pulling back and they're everybody's like you know hunkering down in a way that i haven't seen before that doesn't necessarily mean anything will happen but it's a very odd thing (laughs) and if that uh if that happens you know these physical events you know are going to be very hard to maintain you know like you know they're going to be hard to get people to travel it's going to be hard to get it's not going to be COVID hard but it's going to be difficult to get people to pay for the flights and the hotels and the you know all the other things that are happening. And so they're gonna be looking for well, how do we do this? And again, the 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 and and the hard part is people are like now not promoting they're trying to not promote digital um because they are trying to uh, you know, they're trying to get people to come back. So, they won't tell anyone that there's a digital event when they first do the announcement and then they hold on and then they hold on and then they hold on and they go, oh, right, there's gonna be a digital version. My wife was just about to go to Florida and then she found out there was a digital version. She was like, oh, I'm just gonna do that. <laughs> like, you know, that's like, you know, like I'm not gonna fly down there, um, you know? And so, so those are the things that, that um, are happening right now. And I think we as a group need to keep, pay very close attention to it because it gives us the opportunity to really be on that front edge. You know, that we've been talking about it. You know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so uh, sitting here having these conversations about the business models on Mondays and the process and everything else is the preparation. And then it's just a matter of waiting for the opportunity
7: to arrive. Chris? Yeah, I think think what's interesting about Our business is it it draws a very interesting type of person to it Um, I think a lot of times what I see and and I've been you know following the at least the post-production world for four decades now is that quite often you find people that get into our industry who really like the accoutrements or the the gear and the stuff, and then they struggle to find a way to get it to pay for itself. And I think that um, a lot of people get into this business that way. Um, at the, I remember at the beginning of COVID, I we were having a meeting at our company, and I said it's important for us to realize that our core competency is that we help people communicate, and that's not. That's not a business that, like, you know, twelve-year-old me aspired to do. Like, I, I didn't sit there, you know, like, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a spaceman. I want to help people communicate. You know, I mean, it's 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 not it's not a fun, sexy career to to look forward to. But if you boil what we down, what we do down to that, um, it helps you. It helps you in so many ways. You can, you can concentrate on what it is we really do, and, and at a certain point, it doesn't matter if it's 5,000 people in an auditorium or 50,000 people on a Zoom call. If, if we remember that we are helping people communicate, then it'll change every purchase we make. It'll change every decision that we make. And I think that it's it's important to have a um, an accurate assessment of what it is, of what our objective is. I don't know if that falls into this question, but I I come back to this issue all the time. Like, how am I helping these people communicate? Alex. Yeah, I think that uh, to, to build on what
3: Chris was saying is that. One of the reasons that Mondays are so important is because the other days are really how to do things, and the Monday is why to do things. <laughs> like, why are we doing this thing, and and what is the the structure of that, and and, and how does that look? And, and we are at the very beginning. It's really easy. There's always this kind of rubber band thing where we went into this this virtual world, and then it pulled back because people could do physical, but that's not pulling back all the way, and it's about to go the other direction again. And all this time we're we're having those discussions about what that looks like and how do we navigate it? How do we navigate VOD versus live and, and so on and so forth. And so the the the, the why and the what should we be doing and, and how do we structure that is all about Monday. And whereas the other ones are more, it's easier to see why the other ones are important. It's harder to see this one sometimes, but it's the, in my opinion, one of the most important days, if not the most important day of the week. Is to talk about the whys and the and the and that really the the bigger picture is the, is are the Mondays.
0: All right. Well, let's get into some of these questions. Well, oh, before I get there, I'm going back to what you had said earlier, Alex, with the piece of like startups and investments and and that side of things. I've been in that space, the startup space for a really long time, even for our startup, which even the idea of like, well, we have to pause because it's taking so long to raise capital. And even the process of putting the decks together, the time it takes to get the intros because you you really want to soft intro versus like you're just cold emailing or calling uh, investor firms and just that entire process. I think definitely we'd be very valuable for the community, but then also the how are people bootstrapping, how are startups bootstrapping? So I think that there's definitely um, a a space there. Thank you to the producers who went ahead and um, participated in that poll, because again, this is all that information that will help us um, even though it's only four <laughs> four categories and there's more, um, but it's helpful for us to navigate who we invite on uh, as the second hour. So, Jason, let's get into these questions.
1: All right. Paul Walhus, writing in from Austin, Texas. How can we more effectively teach newcomers how to use Zoom and comms and prep them as panelists and producers? Alex? Uh,
3: yeah, so I think that the 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 nuts and bolts of things are probably on a Friday or people jumping into after hours. There, I don't know if there's really a show about that. I do think that there could be a potentially either a Friday or a Monday show, which I, I don't know exactly where it would fit in. But I think that Monday is more of how do we use Zoom in an event, and Friday is more how do we use Zoom? You know, like it's it's kind of a, you know, so the 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 when it's button pushing, I think it's more of a for a Friday thing. And when it's talking about the areas where it could be used it's more of a Monday thing. As far as people actually learning how to do those things, the best way to do it is to do it. And so people getting into after hours and asking questions, people, um, you know, learning comms is really a join the office hours team. You know, like that is the best way to learn how to do comms and how to be part of something is the, the best way. And again, what you're doing is you're starting to get good at built being part of an ecosystem where a lot of us are bidding on this stuff all the time. And when those when we get the job, part of the reason that I wanted office hours around was that when I got jobs, I needed to know who to hire. <laughs> like who to, who, to, who to, you know, and, and we need people who have already done all the comm stuff and already done all the bits and pieces. And so I don't wanna train someone up on that and, and or done, you know, speaker prep um, or done all those things are things that we're looking for. So the best way to do it is to get into it.
1: Jason? Yeah, I, I've I've gotta reiterate that. When I was getting into production, I would have killed for the opportunity to learn as quickly as I, I've seen people firsthand learn in office hours. It is truly an amazing opportunity. And it's not just, oh, yeah, you know, you're, you're going it's, to, it's experience for you. That's like, you know, telling a band, well, it's exposure. That's what you should be playing for. No, this is real. And it truly is useful. Next question. Dave Troutman writes in from Edmonton. How to handle success? Some companies stumble when they get popular. Is there a general approach to keeping control of growth? Go ahead, Alex.
3: Yeah. Um, I think this would actually be a great subject. There's, there's um, both structural things, like how do you hire for that? There's also um, financial things, like for instance, when we got picked up by Google years ago, uh, we got ahead of our AR, <laughs> and so what that means is that you're bringing, you're you have so much work coming in on in February that the the time it takes for the money to come in for that work doesn't cover March, you know, like and so you you end up in this thing where you can actually like just blow out your company, um, because you suddenly don't have cash flow, you know, it's it's a crazy thing, but it's like you suddenly have a tsunami of work, but all the water goes out before it comes in, right? And so the um and so you uh that figuring out how to do that and how to navigate that was something that we just had to start asking people about. And I think that second hours that talk about you know, financial process of how to deal with those things, I think would be really interesting.
0: Yeah, it would be cool to see or get some guests on that. Like, yes, we scaled and this is, you know, how it worked or or flopping and how it didn't work or the pitfalls and what to avoid with that. The legal side of that as well of some things that might change in your company structure. Um, so law is something that we haven't really touched on either. So that could um, fall under this t- topic, this category, as well as always going back to there's a mental side. I'm a part of this um, entrepreneur group. And what we say a lot of the times or what is repeated to us is like, who's the person you have to become for where you want to go? And so there are some things that you personally, as whether you're an exec part of the executive team and or if it's your company, that there's some skill sets that you might not have or need to acquire and like just thinking through um, that entire process so that would be helpful and producers remember so this time is as we're brainstorming is to just toss out your thoughts on some areas that you've been thinking about or you think that might fill some gaps that we may be missing because this is all about you next question
1: Jack Ropel from Breckenridge, Colorado, writes in: "How do you acquire a domain name that matches your vision and identity?" Alex,
3: I think this is a great question. I think we could definitely spend an hour talking about domain names because it's changed so much. You know, yeah. I, I buy I buy domain I buy domain names now as part of production, and I don't even think about it. Like it's like a um, I single use. <laughs> like I'm going to use it for this production. I'm never going to use it again. Uh, I think people aren't used to that, you know, it's, it's, and I do it because I could use bit.ly or some other shortener, or I could just write my own URL that isn't a bit.ly, that isn't something that's forwarding it out. And it costs me $8 to do that. And it doesn't, you know, like in the grand scheme of a production, who cares? You know, and so you, so you just buy one that that is really fun and, and that you use. And I, I just never thought I'd get to a point where I was using URLs as disposable items. Now I still keep them for X amount of time, just in case we come back. but. But it's something that we do, I I do a lot. And part of what makes that possible is that it's no longer .net, .com, .whatever, you know, it's .something. And we use them all the time now. I mean, I I probably buy a couple a month at least, um, you know, that that we just, that we'll probably never, uh, never use again, (laughs) you know? And so, uh, and so those, and it's, it's, and so I think having a whole uh, hour about that process and how we approach that would be really interesting. Jason? I
1: couldn't agree more. I've bought domain names purely for an inside joke. Um it is truly just burn wants and it doesn't matter because guess what? I have the domain name and that statement alone is is sometimes worth it. Um this is very very important. Um not just the company name but the domain names that you get to make sure that the redirects work correctly so that the people who get the company name wrong are also going to get the company name. And then um, the the kind of belt and suspenders of that is how to intermingle them correctly so that Google doesn't think that you're just kind of surfing out this, you know, one specific thing and you're you're basically trying to get misdial, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic topic. Good point. Next question. Paul Walhoos from Austin, Texas writes in, how do you, uh, how do you system administration and network management in the AI age of apps and AI? Alex?
3: Yeah, I think that's probably a Friday one. So once we get into networking and, and system admin and so on and so forth, I think that moves more into logistics. And so that would probably be a Friday discussion, which we've had other networking discussions on those days.
1: Next question. Jonas Detel in Stuttgart, Germany, writes in a second hour on how to do financial planning and budgeting. All right. Alex?
3: Yeah, I, I actually think that, that we need to do more of those. More, I think that um, thinking about financial discussions needs to happen probably at least once a quarter, if not once a month, where we're t- of something related to it, of some kind of financial issue is something that I think would be really useful. And I think that it's, for us starting businesses, like it's thinking about all the things, like how do you calculate your hourly and how do you calculate those, those bits and pieces would be useful.
1: Next question. Paul Walhoose in Austin, Texas writes in, compare and contrast, remote PC, TeamViewer, VNC, AnyDesk, Chrome remote desktop, go to my PC and Apple remote desktop. And this think,
0: might have either been mistagged. It sounds like more of a first hour question i no, i think that it's, oh, yeah.
3: it's those are the those are the things that we could do as a subject and i think again it, it would come back to a friday, friday. S- subject this is not a not a really why but a how and looking at those things specifically
1: next question dave troutman writing in from edmonton canada maybe a day for talking about handling staff levels or hiring against contractors
3: alex yeah, I think that having a discussion about that would be useful because there's definitely a point where you there's a point where it's it's really efficient to have um, contractors, and then there's a point where it's really efficient to have staff, and 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 so I think f- talking about where we make those decisions, I think would make sense.
0: Jason,
1: yeah, and especially in in lieu of of recent California uh, legislative accident no i can't call it that but um you know unforeseen consequences and how basically that's turned production on its side for um the better part of the country
3: alex yeah and i think that i think that it, but i think we can stay in a general um note i mean literally the the once most of us figured out like uber and lyft how to bypass the, the, the ab5 it didn't really matter anymore um and so the um uh, so the but i think that we Um, can, can really think about, I think beyond the legal ends of things, it's just the strategic end of why would you have a person on staff versus a a contractor, I think is a, as an important piece of the puzzle.
0: And what this bubbles up to is well, just overall human resources and some of the yeah. considerations. So even having some expert that could come on and, and speak on that is is also something where this could fall into.
3: <laughs> we have to find a uh, we have to find a consultant that's willing to talk in public because no company wants to talk about HR in in public. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so so, we, so it'll be a little bit of a challenge to find a person that will talk about it.
1: Next question. Eduardo Augustine in Panama, PA writes in. How do you approach proper positioning and lead generation to actually get seen?
0: That's good, Alex.
3: Yeah, I, I think that that's a great one for us to brainstorm and talk about how it's worked for us in the past, where we get, where we ended up with our leads. A lot of times those leads tend to be, for me, they tend to be, uh, feel accidental. Like I don't do a lot of uh, hard, I, I create a lot of things that are generating, a stirring up dust and then things just show up. <laughs> like for me, I don't I don't really have a, a way to do that, but talking about what that looks like for me and for other people and how they do it, I think is it would be really useful.
0: Yeah, Eduardo, I'm with you. I'm actually going through this process with some consultants of similar to Alex, things just come naturally and referrals and just because of what we've done. But growing a business, you need to, in my opinion, You need to have a pipeline and how to, you know, fill the pipeline of leads and so that you can be for those who want to be more systematic with how you're doing sales and and so that you can kind of have an idea about what your cash flow, um, your cash flow looks like. So, yeah, this topic would be would be definitely handy. Next question.
1: John Snyder in Reno, Nevada writes in how to have an initial scoping conversation with a client who is seeking to hire you. Jason. I think this is one of the most important things if you are uh, a one-man operation, as I for the most part am. Uh, Learning how to do this well truly will make or break you. And um, I'm sure it varies by vertical, but um, kind of the tone and cadence of it, I bet, is somewhat uniform.
0: Alex? Alex?
3: Yeah, I, I definitely think that understanding there are definitely limits to what you wanna say during that first call and then limits to what you wanna, you know, and then the, the list of things that you wanna know. Uh, and I think that'd be a, a great second hour to talk through.
1: Next question. Laura Thompson in Beaumont, Texas, writes in a legal discussion of LLC, independent contractors, uh, S-Corp, C-Corp, and the rest of the legal alphabet soup. (laughs) It really is an alphabet soup, Alex.
3: And again, this became, in California, this became really important with AB5. So this is something that, you know, all contractors at this point, probably, at least in California, should be in one of those three. You know, they should be LLC, S, or C-Corp. Um, C-Corp is probably not what you need, <laughs> but S-Corp or LLC uh, specifically to kind of navigate these other issues. But I think that that is um, – but talking about what those are and why that they're there I think would totally make a lot of sense.
0: Jason?
1: Yeah, what you want to avoid is the DBA. That is an alphabet mix that is not ideal. But, yeah, um, we did do this very early in office hours, I think. And um, I, I, I think it's endlessly useful. Um, we probably – want more of an expert, probably an attorney or, or somebody involved with taxation to really get into this um, because the difference is, is twofold. It's liability and taxation. Those are really the differences between all the different ways you incorporate. Oh,
3: and ability at this point. Sure, sure.
1: <laughs> Next question. Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York writes in after a, a mediocre or less than service from Fiverr. I haven't bothered with him in years. Is it worth revisiting?
3: Alex? I think in general, looking, uh, you know, going out and and, um, uh, trying to figure out, you know, what of those kinds of services make sense, I think it makes a lot of sense. You You know, talking about which ones we've used in the past, which one have been successful, et cetera.
0: So, is this, I, I'm trying to remember. I feel like we've done something similar, but maybe it was maybe sourcing volunteers. Is there a bigger topic of like sourcing talent? And, well, where I think this is,
3: but this is like kind of almost mechanical Turk kind of things. Like, so when you do Fiverr, if you're going to Fiverr, you can, you know, hire someone to build you something that's relatively inexpensive. Um, and sometimes it's all you need. Ah, I just need something that's going to be kind of built this way, and I'm going to have somebody build build that out. Um, it is, uh, I think that it, some, what, a lot of smart folks on Fiverr do is they they get you to, this is a really inexpensive thing, but you'll never want that thing that's for $5. <laughs> you want this other thing and they're using it. Um, what I found is a lot of them, I used it for a while in the past, maybe a decade ago, and I was putting things together. And what I found was they were using it mostly as lead generation. So they're gonna do something really inexpensive for you, but this is a relatively low cost lead generation for them to meet you and then say, well, I can do all these other things as well. And it costs more than that, but it's something that's interesting. And um, you you could find folks that were useful, but I think that talking, there's a lot of company, there's a lot of services like Fiber, which is, it's basically, I want a transactional relationship with someone somewhere in the world to do something for me that I don't wanna talk about again. There and we can talk about the, the the reasons to do that, the reasons not to do that. There's a lot of reasons not to do that. Um, you're you know, and so um, but I think it's it's it's, it's a good conversation to have. It it would definitely fill up an hour if we if we did a little research.
0: Jason,
1: yeah, I couldn't agree more. Fiverr, what it's for and what it's not for, yeah. um, which isn't always exactly what it pretends to be. Mm-hmm. Next question. Don Snyder in Reno, Nevada writes in: Mergers and acquisitions for small business owners. How to know when to exit and what appropriate compensation is?
0: Yes, Alex.
3: If everybody knew that, they'd be <laughs> really set, you know. So, um, so I think that. But I think that talking about making those decisions and and when those make and how you value what you're doing, I think a lot of times uh, people value their companies much higher, sometimes lower, but usually much higher than they're worth. <laughs> so, 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 so then they go, well, this is what I think. I, I mean, I've done that when I was, you know, and the multipliers and and what that actually looks like. I think are are useful things to, to to figure out. Jason?
1: Yeah, this is where the um, the business wiener terms like sepulveda come in and you know things like that. I had a client whose only job was to oversee exit strategies for founders of businesses, and he made a really good living at it. Next question. Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York, writes in does CRM have a place in the live streaming business? Worth it?
3: Alex? Uh, yeah yeah i think that um it can as you start to build up um so you know being able to remember remember i mean it does help to be able to remember what what last conversation you had and have a system that that tells you when to contact people and how to contact them and keeps track of all those conversations and make sure that you're reaching out to people at the at the appropriate times and so i think that those um managers are are powerful and i think that talking about which ones i i have to admit i I don't do that that much. <laughs> I keep track of things, but I know that if I, you know, when we had more, we definitely paid a lot more attention to it. So where do you switch over from a lot of emails and an organize, you know, and, and a structure to a, a proper CRM?
0: I like this idea cuz it uh, I can liken it to maybe like the descript If there was, if maybe we got someone on who was who was from like a CRM company and them walking through, because to your point, Alex, how many people really are using a SaaS product or some kind of tool? So that could and or before maybe having someone on actually talking through the process and how it works, how a CRM works for those who may not um, be using something like that. But I I, I like that that because it goes both into just account management, but then also in sales.
1: Next question. Paul Walhoose in Austin, Texas, writes in, How can non professionals succeed as retirees and hobbyists? Alex.
3: Yeah, I I think there's such a big business in people just doing this for fun. <laughs> you know, like like they don't need to make a lot of money or need to make a little money to cover their the cost of their hardware and and you know their their uh um, their habit <laughs> in this case, buying gear um and so uh so their their gear habit is something that I think is we could definitely talk about of how do you do this and how do you just you know because there's so many places where it probably doesn't make sense for people like a lot of the folks on the panel to do do the job, like what we would charge would be way more than what anybody can afford. But if you're a hobbyist, you could really, it's never been better as far as providing something for your local organization or providing something, you know, that's there. You've got a couple of things that are available. Um, You know, I think that talking about that from a hobby perspective could could be a good second hour.
1: Next question. Eduardo Augustine in Panama, Pennsylvania writes in second hour on when is the right time to hire versus freelancers.
0: Alex?
3: I think we talked about this one earlier. I think we think that that's a great second hour. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Next question. Alexander Knight in Vancouver, BC, Canada. When you feel stuck between trying to grow a side hustle into a full time business and working a full time salary job, discuss strategies on how to manage time and save money so you can minimize risk and quit your day job.
3: Alex, it's, great. it's a great second hour. <laughs> That's all I got to say. I mean, it's. I mean, I have a very specific way of doing that, which is I, I oftentimes call the tank track. But but the um, uh, but I. Uh, I think talking about that, cause it's a lot of us have the situation where we're in a in a job that pays the bills and, but we have something we really wanna do and and how do we get from one one place to the other?
0: Yeah, and then in this too, and I forgot what I was gonna say, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Next question. Paul who writes in, how to manage passwords and pass keys in the age of AI?
3: Alex. I think that this one starts to get into more of a, that, that's probably a Friday subject. I mean, de- dealing with our logins and so on and so forth starts to become logistics. So we probably push that one off to Friday.
1: Next question. Jack Ruppel in Breckenridge, Colorado writes in, How to moderate and produce a one-man band digital presence.
3: Alex. I think that's great. Yeah, like figuring out how to do it. I'm not very good at that <laughs> anymore because we have office hours. So, so, but, but I think that uh, knowing how to run all of those things and dance with them all at one time, I think is, it would be a useful um, subject.
0: Jason?
1: Yeah. Um, and I think the final step of that is, you know, how to automate that. Definitely. Next question. Stephen Kimbro in Berkeley, California, writes in a general conversation on working with site union folks and what to plan for: total time, lunch, skills, etc.
3: Alex, yeah, I think that I think I really think that it's a tricky business because a lot of us are sensitive of talking about union issues, but um, on you know in public, much like HR issues. But I think that there are some you know basics that make it all work much more smoothly, um, and you know it's it really is. Um, you know, we joke that you know working with the union is just grown-up work. Like you have to, everything has to be managed, everything has to be sorted out. You know, you're you're not just kind of winging it anymore, um, and you have to figure those things out. And it's made made me a much better producer um, to think about those those timeframes and the things that I need to do there. So I think that having that discussion would be um, of what makes it easy and what makes it hard uh, would be a, a good a good discussion.
1: Next question. Chris Clark in Tempe, Arizona. What's it, uh, what are successful strategies for sustaining team and employee morale through the ups and downs of the business cycle? Jason. Uh, I can't, I, I, immediately thought Alex of that, um, you know, only give your crew sugar about like two hours before the end of the event <laughs> advice you yeah, gave. That's one part I thought of that was morale. perfect.
3: That's one part of the morale. Uh, yeah, and I guess you could, you could think about that emotionally as well. So, so you know, the sugar is, you know, that, that's a physical manifestation of it. But, but I do think that talking about that, um, that process of sustaining energy throughout the process, um, I think a lot of us struggle with that. You know, it's not even something that I think we've ever really all figured out. But there's definitely some things that work better than others. And so, I think it'd be good, it'd be good discussion. Absolutely.
1: Next question. Rody Hefner in New York City writes in: How about occasionally inviting an event associate leader to offer new perspectives on industry trends? And then he left a website.
3: Alex, I think it's great. I think that one thing that we have trouble with event planners is they really want the events to be physical. So we always get into this back and forth with them of they, you know, the, this is their world and they understand it in a certain way, and so they'll talk into that that way, even though. Many of us know that's probably not the future. <laughs> so, so finding event planners that can think a little further forward um, has always been a little bit of a challenge for us as we build these things out. But I do think that, because they're, they're very sure that it's gonna happen and, and a lot of us are very sure that it's not. you know. And so I think that that's the the conflict that we've had in the past bringing some, some folks in because most of us don't think that hybrids are ever gonna really work.
1: Next question. Albi Lopez in San Antonio, Texas, writes in best practices with client communication, such as project overviews and deliveries. Jason, yeah, I, I would distill this whole thing into how to read, write, and interpret a Gantt chart, and then whether you share that with the client is its own thing.
3: Alex, yeah, it it, it is. Um, I think that managing expect you know understanding how to manage expectations, understanding how to manage. Uh, the flow and what you're what you need to get to make that happen would be really valuable. I think it's a great, great second hour.
0: And because I know that the team is going to go through this and get the transcription and all put these ideas in our, our second hours. What I'm also hearing is like project management, account management, because that's a, a, an art a skill in and of itself. So yes, loving all of that. Next question.
1: Uh, Tlala Miguel Lopez-Waterman writes in, um, can we talk about the process of filmmaking as it pertains to business funding, staffing, soup to nuts?
3: Alex? Yeah, let me, I'm going to reach out to a couple of uh, folks that I have done this process and see if we can't bring them in. It might be a specific area, like a short film or, or oh, you know, Andy might. Anyway, yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. So um we've got a couple folks that either for a narrative or a documentary, because I think it's a bit different for each one. So we'll see what we can find there.
1: Next idea. question. Tlala comes back in with the business of theater. Alex.
3: If you're leading it. <laughs> so Talala, Talala, we're open to bring Tlalaq on for that.
1: Jason. I was good to say the same thing. Thank you so much for volunteering, Tlaloc. I can't wait to see what you've got on this.
0: I have a feeling this might be coming up, <laughs> but um, I'm also curious, just throwing this in here, like what other What other verticals do we need to make sure that we address like so there's film, we kind of had the broadcast because of NAB, there's theater, just panel just thoughts on like what other what other areas and and folks in the chat too that an area that you're a part of or an industry that you're a part of that possibly the business of that industry that we can also touch on Jason.
1: Well, and in keeping with the soup to nuts approach, maybe um, a really old or completely changed—I'm um, sure at least a few of us have—spreadsheets on you know an event and um, you know how how you reversed the budget and you know just scramble the dollar figures and go over the the main line items. Next question. Paul Walhus writes in a show about how to brainstorm <laughs> techniques and methods.
3: Alex. It's a good one. Yeah, I mean, we're brainstorming here. Obviously, we have the advantage of having a lot of people that's doing are doing it with us, and getting us through it. And we've got a lot of great ideas to build from. But I do think that there is a uh, a way to kind of talk to clients about what are you you know. how I think a lot of times it's how do you contain it. So rather than all the things we could do, getting to like why are we doing this and what is our what are our objectives and what are we trying to get out the out the door. And so I think that that's a that's a good that's a good subject for a second hour. Next question. Dave
1: Troutman in Edmonton, Canada, selling your domain name. And when someone approaches you to buy it, how to value it, uh, we have an expert nearby. Jason. Oh, yeah. Mr. Preto, thank you so much for volunteering. <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't you dare.
0: <laughs> that, I mean, that that could be. And that even there, there are some people that that's even like the business, like they squat even though there are legalities around there, feel free, John, to jump in at any time. But yeah, just even that, that process and, and what, what that could, that could lead to, that could be an, an interesting one, John.
6: I'm, I'm happy to, to participate.
0: (laughs) Thank you.
1: Next question. Uh, Douglas Carmichael writing in Managing Travel. Alex.
3: You know, I think that that one starts to get towards a Friday, you know, that's, it's really a logistical problem as opposed to a creative or a why problem. I think that's what I'm kind of thinking about when I think about things that are not computer graphics, the audio or video that we might talk about or education that we might talk about. I, I, I kind of lean into the, is it a how or a why, you know, and, and so, um, and I think that, I think that probably Friday, this would probably fit on Friday
0: and again because i know we're going to be able to pull the transcription maybe even content creators in the travel space because that is a space that Mm -hmm. is that is not even booming it just is people are always looking for places to go and just maybe even their process of how they create content those that have actually built a business around it and, and talking to to some people in that area next question
1: Gordon Lake from Los Angeles, California. A look at the legal considerations when recruiting talent, including advertising and interviewing. Alex.
3: Yeah, (laughs) like how to recruit talent, how to find good talent uh, is, is a huge problem for every company. And so I think that talking about it would be great.
0: Next question.
1: Jack Ruppel writing in from Breckenridge, Colorado. The goalposts of digital media are always moving. Office Hours is working on HDR and 5.1 content. Please discuss current digital event goalposts and six months from now. Alex?
3: It's probably something we need to check in on almost every quarter just to kind of keep error correcting. And, and I wouldn't say necessarily what's going to be six months from now, but what's going to be six years from now or, or six, you know, or 12 years from now or 15 years from now. Because we want to keep on looking at those trajectories and keep on aligning. It doesn't mean that we can do those things right now, but we want to keep on looking at what those are so that we can keep on aligning kind of our, our ship to something that's further, further away.
0: I think I said this a little bit earlier, but again, for the record of just even planning, like, I think actually, Dr. Clark, this is even better, Dr. Clark had said earlier in the chat about succession planning. So I don't know if that would be like a standalone or if it falls under a bigger umbrella, but planning for your your business, personal development planning. um, And then yeah, succession planning. Next question.
1: Tlaloc Lopez-Waterman uh, writing in Intellectual Property, Who Owns What We Make? Jason. I love this. This is one of these things that um, if, if, you're just, if you don't understand it, you'd better look it up and then look it up again and then hire an expert to look it up a third time. This is super important because it can completely tank your company if you don't understand it.
0: Alex?
3: Um, yeah, they're talking about it because you want to look at it helps you look at contracts and helps you write contracts as well. I don't do it as much anymore because I nowadays people pay me enough that I just do the job and I hand them everything. I don't need to own anything but you know related to those things. But when I was uh, younger, when I built three d models, there'd be this little line that would be in the in the contract that just said a client owns final frames only. And that's it. It was like this one little line that that, that was like, you know, that, that was in there. And what it meant was I could use all the 3D models that I built for anything else I wanted to. I didn't try to resell them or or do anything else. It just meant that if I wanted to use them in anything I needed to use them in, or I wanted to use them in examples, or I wanted to use whatever I had. All, I had this huge library of things I was building for clients that I could that I could leverage. Um, and uh, it was something that no one usually noticed, you know, like that, that, that it went through because uh, they didn't think about why would you need those. Um, and, uh, and usually, again, those are the things, that, but those are the things that are like understanding what the, a, a short line that might mean something, You and clients can do that to you as well, like say certain things that you wanna pay attention to with intellectual property. And so, um, yeah, definitely worth checking out.
1: Next question. Kyle Heyman in Chicago, Illinois, writing in Determining and Finding Your Audience and Market. Jason. I would add to that being flexible because um, you might not actually have the best idea for your own market. The flexibility is the important part here. Sure, have your own ideas, but pay attention. Alex.
3: Yeah, I think that'd be great. I think talking through the idea of finding those. I think what we want to do there is find an expert that's really good at that though. I mean, it's I've got some friends that might might come on that would that this is what they specialize in. I think us we can a, a lot of us can talk about it and I think we can get do some stuff, but I think bringing some folks on might be useful too.
1: Next question. Paula Lopez Waterman writes in a single word, copyright.
3: Yes. <laughs> Alex. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's um I think it would be it'd be good to talk about it and again we need to find a lawyer that I think really understands it to to really bring it up you know tie it all together for us.
1: Go ahead Jason. I would add, because again, depending upon how detailed you want to get into any particular part of it, I feel like the first part of copyright is what is and is not a copyright and when you need copyright and when you need copyright and trademark and what the difference between a registered and unregistered trademark are. Um, Simple stuff, but it's, you know, it's, it's a five minute talk from someone who's good at it and it will save you a lot of grief.
0: And just to add to that, like, as you said, trademark, patent, just some of those other legal areas that would impact our community.
3: And I, and I think that those are all, those are three different ones. You know, exactly, copyright, exactly patent, trademark are all, are three different hours.
1: Yes, all for the transcription. <laughs> Next question. Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado writes in, how do you leverage new hires outsider status to get out of the way we've always done it rut? Alex?
3: That's my primary business is to be outside of that that process. So, um, so I think that that'd be a great a great subject to talk about, both how to be that person internally as well as how to um, find those folks, and and also how to re- understand where you fit into the the pipeline. We always joke that, you know, I've I've been a contractor for many of the top very large companies. And we always, I always tell people that work with me, I'm like, we're the red shirts. (laughs) Like when we're going to the thing, you have to remember that we're, we're creating the new things, but if something goes wrong, we're the ones that, we're the red shirts, you know, from, from Star Trek, we will, we're the first ones that'll go. So, so understanding where that is and what you have to do to manage that, I think is important as well.
0: And Alex is kind of a, a follow up on this is, is there a topic a second hour, maybe around like a global, like what that looks like, since there are so many distributed, like pe- NAM was, I mean, NAB was having people across globe is, yeah. what, what could that look like?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a, a lot of companies are not able to do what we're, what a freelancing system or someone can that can build something up because the problem for companies is is that you you as soon as you go to the company as soon as someone sort of gets hired into a comp- into a large corporation or most companies they they don't they stop growing as, at the same speed because they're now doing the same thing over and over again there's you know a lot of more infrastructure and everything else it's more comfortable but it, it tends to be something that they and they they tend to be more generalists in those areas whereas for every show that you do you're bringing in the right person for that job. Like the engin- the audio engineer I bring in for a certain job is, does you know, knows how to do that thing. And the camera operator is that kind of camera operator. And, the, and, the, and so the TD is that kind of TD. And so, you, you, you know, there's a lot of advantages to that and we can talk about that more, but there's a, when you're trying to really do something new, you wanna be able to hand pick those. And those folks oftentimes wouldn't be the type that would wanna work at a corporation. You know, like, so they're not, you know, and so you need to, you know, they're, they're just not the, that, and so you, I think there's a, we can talk, I think, sometimes about the symbiotic relationship between having, in st- you know, in-house staff, which is super important, as well as exterior, external freelancers that help you specialize for a given project and scale up for one project and scale back down again, you know, and so I think that those are things that are, that are useful.
1: Next question. Uh, Tlaloc writing in pitching ideas. How to make this work? It's the key to making things happen. We can't create in a vacuum. Jason, yeah, this is one of. I mean, this especially when you're just starting out. Um, you know, how much to how much to give away? Um, you know, the structure of you know, of of what you do here. I tend to to do it probably very differently than a lot of other people would. But you know, again, the the strategy behind this. Um, is is one of my favorite things to do. I love pitching ideas, Alex.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know where we talked about it a little bit on Tuesdays, and we talked about it on Saturdays, and I don't know where you know pitch decks or or building a deck fits in. It might, I think, pitch decks might fit fit into um, uh, into Mondays of really what does it take to put a pitch deck together. Um, it's something I do generally on a weekly basis. <laughs> so.
0: So I'm thinking of this even as maybe even a little bit broader again going back to the the startup part of my brain of even preparing like what that pitching process looks like maybe even there from from beginning to end not the focus on the the deck itself but the the steps that you need to take to even get your idea is it getting your idea internally because we do have a lot of people who work inside organizations so how do you pitch something that is innovative um, and then, the the external side, so the pitching process to a client, a brand. Um, spitballing off of that, Jason.
1: Yeah, um, it occurred to me. I, I have one that um, I did for a client who was pitching to Porsche, and I pretty sure that i could at very least share the um the bubble diagram right you know the the way that it was sorted the final pitch deck i don't really want to but um you know the the way that it was chaotic to begin with and then the way it was kind of honed in is way more than the deck itself
0: right next question
1: uh Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois writes in, "How about a second hour providing the skills and services offered to both panelists and producers, knowing who and how to contact for events might prove beneficial for all alex
3: we can i, I don't i 't know if that would be a super po- popular second hour i mean we we can do it we can talk through it' it 's hard to define, so it just it, it turns to be kind of a speaking through your resume kind of thing i mean I find how I figure out how what anybody does is I do stuff with them. So that, you know when we're doing stuff, you know, while NAB is a great thing to to cover, um, and doing the doing office hours is is a great thing to produce. What I'm also getting to see on the back end is who's doing what and what do they like and how does that look and everything else. And so, so I think that the best way to figure that out is to be involved in things that, that are in office hours and when people are picking things up is to you know that's how a lot of us who and we can talk about this as far as staffing goes but many of us only staff people that we know or somebody that we know knows and that's why being on projects is so important if you can (laughs) is that is that you know we you know we interact i i i very rarely um hire someone because i heard that they were good at something like you know like randomly or that they said that they or they have a website that looks impressive or anything else um, 99.9% of the people that I hire are someone that I know, or they or someone that I know knows. And so being part of a production network, and that's part of the design around office hours was to build a production network where we're doing lots of things together, um, so that we can get to know each other.
1: Next question. Jack Rupel writes in cutting edge USDZ workflow software integration and pipeline. Jason. Oh, this subject is near and dear to my heart. Um, You will never have to twist my arm for this one. I'm not sure where it fits exactly in the cadence, but oh boy, can I talk about this stuff? Alex?
3: Tuesday. Uh, Tuesdays will be the days that we talk about this. And um, obviously after June, we expect to talk a lot about it, probably at least uh, least once a quarter, if not once a month, um, maybe once a week for a little while. So it depends on what happens in June but uh, Tuesdays will be the day that we talk about USDZ.
1: Next question. I think that's the end of it.
0: I thought I saw. Did okay. I miss one? <laughs> it, it could have been me seeing, seeing, seeing a, a post or, or channeling something coming in. Well, producers, thank you so much for all of your questions, your, well, your questions, your suggestions. And remember in Discord, we have a, a channel that is dedicated to second hour. So if something comes to mind after the show, feel free to put them in there because we're always looking, always looking at how we can best serve you. To our panelists, thank you so much for your insights and your feedback, and of course, to the production team, thank you for without you, this would not be possible. I just want to highlight that in the email that you received today, for those of you on the email list that we have already announced volunteers for um, product for the cinegear production team. So that's going to be June 1st to the 4th. So go ahead and sign up as I don't know if you wanted to add it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, we're we're pretty excited about it. So, um, you know, I think that NAB, I really felt like NAB was a huge success. Uh, we we learned a lot. We produced a lot of great content. I will say that even with all the little bobbles around audio and everything else, I looked at a lot of other NAB coverage, and I'm, I think we stand pretty well <laughs> in the in that area. Um, and so uh, we're gonna look at how, where we can turn up that up a notch or two. So we're working with some manufacturers. I'm coming down personally for it. So I'll be there on both Friday and Saturday uh, for the coverage. So I'm looking forward to meeting everybody that comes um, and uh, as part of that team. So uh, there, will, there will be some posts. We're going to work on getting a better post process uh, working so that we can get, um, so we can upload more things for folks to work on offline. So there are, are opportunities that are going to be offline and opportunities that are online, both part of the live and post. And so if you're interested, go ahead and sign up.
0: And remember brainstorming is happening all week. Tomorrow, it will be brainstorming graphics. Um, Head over to officehours.global to learn more about our schedule this week. And I cannot forget that the Taluk traversal, we've gone 127,341 miles. That's 204,934 kilometers. That's more than 1.008 billion bananas, 5.1 times around the Earth. Thank you all for watching and we will see you next time. Bye.
1: That's a lot of bananas. Just had a potassium overdose. I'm going to need some uh, some antidote. Okay. That was great. So many.
0: Thank you, producers. That was really helpful. You have no idea how helpful that is for us.
3: I happened to go. I finally spilled my tea. After all these years, I was wondering what you were doing. Tea.
1: I thought he was looking for his banana. <laughs> right.
0: Alrighty, y'all. Thank you. Bye, bye. Thank you.